Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. Today's episode is part one of an episode recorded by the Unashamed and Unafraid podcast. This episode is all about honesty in our relationships and is geared towards men. If you're interested in the topics discussed in today's podcast, be sure to visit Dr. Finlayson Fife's website and check out her Art of Loving course. We're also excited to share that Steve and James from the Unashamed and Unafraid podcast are offering two scholarships for Jennifer's Art of Loving course. So be sure to follow the link in the show notes to check out their website and apply for that scholarship. Enjoy the episode. So for this episode, we have on none other than Jennifer Finlayson Fife. So amazing. JFF, as they say in the streets. Yes, it is. Um, and I'm a big fan of hers. I've listened to so much of her content and just love her perspective on so many aspects of sexuality, of choice, accountability, ownership. Um, Well, and I think she kind of has embodied for you, which I totally have learned from you, is like we have to undemonize this. Like you cannot approach recovery and sexuality with like... There is bad and good. Yeah. Now, now, I'm not saying like, hey, let's endorse porn or cheating on your spouse. But when we have this idea of there's don't do it and you're a good person. Uh-huh. But if you do do it, then you are a bad person. Right. And so listening to her stuff really, to your point, helped me de-demonize it. By, it kind of helped me kind of unplug that shame IV that just got was stuck in my arm when it came to pornography. Like it was just... <laughs> this intravenous thing of shame all the right. time around porn. She helped me kind of unplug that a little bit and was like, nope, you don't need to make this, this monster bigger than it really is. Well, and that, and that's a struggle, which, which was, I'm going to tell you kind of how we came into this episode was that's a struggle of, cause so often you hear guys say, you know, there's a good guy and a bad guy in our marriage. Mm, yeah. And I, the addict, right. Male or female, right. I, the addict am the bad person. Right. I'm in the one down. I've done the bad things. And so, uh, the best I can do is stop doing it. And then spend the rest of my life paying my penance in my prison sentence right. as the one down in this marriage. Right. And that's just a paradigm that doesn't work. Right. And she addresses that so beautifully in the episode here. So, uh, so beautifully. Yeah. Some major truth bombs get dropped along the way. Um, and frankly, some ownership for you and I around stuff that what we can step into and own a little bit more. Uh, in our own lives. No, I mean, we probably need to like Venmo her some money because when we got to the end, <laughs> I, I just, we did, we we're like, there's so, we're getting called so much into being true and owning our authentic yeah. self that yeah. James, you and I stepped into, and I'm going to give mad props. She also stepped into oh, I love some it. of yeah. her, her authenticity and her struggle. Right. And um, it, I mean, it was she so full, much respect for that. She full on went unashamed, unafraid with us. It oh, just got raw and real. Oh yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, it was so cool. Um, and uh, we have something fun coming with this. Yes, we do. Um, so Jennifer Finlayson Fife has some courses. Uh, that can from, be found at? At finlaysonfife.com. 
And if you go there, she has some courses on there. And two of her most popular ones are The Art of Desire, which is a women's course, and a men's course called The Art of Loving. And Jennifer has graciously offered uh, to double up. Yeah. yeah. So we, we offered, we to, said we want a scholarship to yeah, these. We said, can we have a scholarship to each of these? And she said, yes. And we'll match you and give you another one. So we have four, we have four scholarships to Jennifer Finlayson, five courses, two for the art of loving, two for the art of desire. And we will put more on that on our social media. So keep and listening. And you can find those scholarships at unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships. And if you are in the mindset of knowing that you want to give back, we are a nonprofit, 501c3, in which you can donate, unashamedunafraid.com slash donate, get bonus content, some cool things, and that is how we pay for those scholarships. No one gets paid. Poor Jason edits all this audio for free, and all of us on the team do this for free. So we can fund more scholarships. So if you'd like to become an outsider who are bold, accepted, and unashamed, we invite you to go there. Follow us at social media at unashamedunafraid. Give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world finds us, and we'll be able to find this episode and the hope that is in it. And James. Steven. You ready? Let's rock and roll. Let's jump in with JFF. Jennifer, is this real life? Is this real life? <laughs> We're here. Can you believe this, James? It's kind of a miracle, really. <laughs> I'm a little bit starstruck, frankly. Um, big fan of yours. A lot of years listening to your podcasts. Um, it's uh, made, a, made a big difference, not only in my life, in, but in the lives of some of my closest friends as well. So thank you for the work that you do and uh, for the difference that you're making in the world. Thank so, you. So we always like to let everyone introduce themselves. Um, so because we find people are better at doing that than us totally butchering their work <laughs> and what they've done. So um, for anyone who has like lived under several rocks and does not know who you are or is familiar <laughs> with your work, um, introduce yourself. So I'm Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and I um, am a therapist and coach and educator of with a particular focus on Latter-day Saints um, and the particular focus of helping people create more intimate, loving, passionate marriages. So I, uh, I got my PhD at Boston College and I wrote my dissertation on LDS women and sexuality. And just perhaps because of the need for it and the, uh, you know, the presence of the internet, I've just you know, had a natural kind of movement towards helping people, especially online through online courses and podcasting and things like that to just help people think through the challenges that they're facing in their most important relationships. So, yeah. And then I'm married and have three kids. And Sweet. I'm currently in Savannah, Georgia, on vacation. Which, which, uh, which James and I are jealous of as we're sitting here in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. So, um, so cool. Um, so uh, look down, right, description page, where to uh, find all of Jennifer's work and programs and all of that. But so we're really excited to have you here for this one because this is a conversation we've had a lot. Um, and so... 
as right people who have done some things in their marriage that are very uh, disparaging. So I'll just speak from the eye, right? So uh, prostitution, a big part of my story, stealing money from the family business, um, been through church discipline a couple of times. Uh, so definitely want to own like. I've done some messed up stuff as far as talking to the intimacy of our marriage and relationship. Like I have, I I describe it when I share my story, like I didn't like push over a fence. I like dropped a nuclear bomb, like, right. Um, with Kayla. And so, um, but we see a lot as people enter recovery that it's hard. And I know my circumstance is not the only circumstance that fits this, but where something happens in the relationship. So for a lot of our audience, it's, acting out in some sexual behavior, cheating on a spouse, porn addiction, something like that. But how do you get a relationship back into balance? Because we see it on both sides where, um, you know, the spouse is like, Hey, you're fine. I've forgiven you. But the person, the partner who has acted out is like, no, I'm always in a permanent one down, which I don't think is serving anyone. And I know there's been the reverse that it's like, Hey, because you cheated on me, I am always in a one-up position in this relationship. And it's like this thing that, that all of us out here have made some really big mistakes. Like it's, it's part of the, I think the journey back to a healthy connected relationship. And so, um, we figured if anyone could help us just put the pieces together on that, it's going to be some JFF. (laughs) Awesome. I will try anyway. (laughs) So, so take me to your question again. So, um, do you, did you, want me to respond yet or do you have another yeah no just how how do we get back to balance well you know a lot of times people think about it as if there's been a breach in the marriage or something deeply disruptive like an affair or uh, an infidelity a, a deception or dishonesty that there's some desire to kind of go back to what you had and you can't ever really go back I mean because there's been a change in the relationship and I would see it also in some ways as an exposure. And that is not to say that, you know, you had to make the choices you made, but the limitations that exist in people often don't become evident to us until we start living our lives and making choices and our mistakes expose our liabilities. They expose where we're blind to ourselves or to other people And so when you are confronting a choice that you've made, it's really what, how does the couple make meaning of that? And do they use that to grow into stronger, better people, more capable of trust, more capable of love, more capable of intimacy? So it's extremely disruptive to one sense of self, to one sense of one's partner, to what the marriage is because it exposes something you hadn't seen or didn't want to see. And so it's, it's really unsettling, of course, but the couples that thrive are able to tolerate the exposures in it and grow into better people through it. So the couples that thrive are able to actually kind of create a cohesive narrative between them of what the meaning is of what happened and who they've become in the face of that. So it's the fact of their growth, their courage, their development, either, you know, it could be one is developing more than the other, of course, 
but there's something in that narrative that has a redemption in it and a strength in it. And that's the basis for the trust in the future. So I love that. Um, so help me cause I, maybe I'm a little bit slow on some of this, but, um, so when you're talking about that exposure, um, yeah. like exposure to, cause, cause what I always fear is like, I never at any point in time want to blame Kayla, right. My wife for any of yeah. my behavior. I want, I never sure. want to be an early, right. Working with people early. They're like, well, if I had more sex in my marriage, or if, and I'm like, look, yeah. there may have been problems in the marriage, but you didn't have to go yeah. do that. So what, tell me what you mean by like exposure, like exposing of like we use infidelity as the example. It, 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 it's exposure of how the marriage was operating and or how people in the marriage were operating. So my, maybe it exposed your entitlement or in the face of when you're not getting what you want that you justify taking, you justify exploiting, you justify, you know, doing what you want when you feel that you're, you know, I'm just going to say what, yeah, <laughs> you know, like your, your narcissistic reinforcement, I'm not calling you narcissist, but sure. I'm just saying, you know, like this reinforcement of your sense of self wasn't getting fulfilled in the marriage, which a marriage never can fulfill. Right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> no, you're never going to honestly have somebody who just sits around and adores you all the time, except for my husband. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and uh, you never are going to get it in any of us. Okay. So when you take that as like, uh, a justification to go and get it elsewhere and to mask from your spouse, you're going and getting it elsewhere. Well, that exposes your character, exposes how your mind's operating. It mm. probably exposes what you learned in your family of origin. Mm. Right. And that's not to blame your parents either. I mean, what I mean is there's multiple factors that are shaping how you've put meaning together, but w your choices, your behavior exposes those meanings. What are the meanings that you have created that have perhaps sustained your sense of self, but now the limitations in them are exposing themselves through the choices you've made. And sometimes people just want to be like, that was just a mistake. And let's not talk about it anymore. Let's not think about it anymore. Like never going to happen again. And, and that might be true sometimes, but a lot of times it's like, I just don't want to deal with what I see about myself or my spouse. Let's bury it. And that actually makes people less able to glean from it the lessons about who they are so they can make wiser, clearer choices going forward. So if I'm compulsively using pornography and I'm not sure why, how can I get down to this roots of, of what you're talking about, of, of understanding? Well, how can you expose? Yeah, how can I expose yeah. that within me and understand what... Yeah. What really is going to be that root problem within me then? Right. Well, first of all, I think that a lot of times, um, especially, you know, in faith based communities, there's a, so much fear of pornography that we're just trying to slap it down and say, don't do it and, and stay away as far away from it as you can. And we're, we're so reactive to it that we have a hard time learning from it. Like if somebody's compulsively going to video games, there's a little bit more room to think about why. What's mm -hmm. this person trying to solve? What is the thing that's not happening in their life or is happening in their life that drowning in video games is a better choice? 
Okay. <laughs> right. And, and so it allows you when it's not so charged, like pornography is, it just gives you a little more room or somebody has a food compulsivity or something. There can be all kinds of shame attached to it. Yeah. And sometimes to the detriment of looking at why am I going to food or why am I going to video games or why am I going to porn? What am I trying to solve? What is it, the fear? Now, when you look to somebody to help you solve it and all they say is because you're a disgusting person, okay, well, that, that doesn't help so much, right? Or because you're just somebody who's so hedonistic and self-serving, that doesn't help very much. There's usually meanings. You need wiser sources of information sometimes to, to settle yourself down a bit and look at what is operating in this moment that this is where I go. Uh, so and, yeah, go ahead. I'm just, if you didn't catch everything that just happened in the last 10 minutes, rewind into, cause I, I feel like you've just dropped like 50 gems. Cause there, I think there is a, a culture amongst the eyes, the, the, you know, addicts and people struggling. And I know it's, it's, we put it only on men. I know there are women who struggle too. We, and we just sure. had a couple episodes with female addicts. So no, I'm just speaking yeah. from the men cause I am one and, can only speak to my experience, but, um, there's this, Hey, if I can just eliminate that behavior and, and you're right, there's some people who, because of cultural circumstances, like I would describe them as a dry drunk. Like I'm I'm like, congratulations. You have locked yourself in a basement where there is no technology and you will never view porn. But I think what you said is so key, like that exposure, they missed it. Yes. Like what the actual exactly. change or healing in the relationship could have been, they missed. That's right. Exactly. So it's, it's, not, it's not a success to just not have access anymore. Or I see people who do that, they white knuckle and they say, okay, sex is not for me because I can't handle myself around it. Mm-hmm. But then they're, they have not made them, they haven't grown into somebody who's free internally. And who's capable of loving through their sexuality, who's capable of an intimate partnership. And when we make sex the problem, we kind of set people up to not grow into something richer and so much better. You know, my, my son has told me, I can talk about this if it's helpful to people, but he in high school was just really starting to struggle with self-doubt and anxiety and kind of a perfectionism that was very internal. I was not I wasn't tracking it because he would act a bit like he didn't care about things Mm -hmm. Uh, rather than I feel like I may not succeed. And so therefore I'm going to avoid it. And he was turning more and more to video games. And it was easy to want to see that as like, why are you being lazy? Why don't you care? Right. But he was trying to manage an anxiety within him. And so he was going to it way too much and getting more anxious and more depressed. Well, he got some help around it, some really valuable help. And, you know, a year later now, this kind of came to a head as the, as the pandemic started for him. And he's just happy, comfortable in his own skin, making good relationships. And he plays video games sometimes, you know, <laughs> but it's like, it's not a place to go anymore. There's no need for him to go there because what he has in his life is so much better than that. And so if we had just said, you don't get to have the internet anymore, we are just shutting it all down. <laughs> he would not, not only probably he would have worked harder to still get it. <laughs> like you're not taking it from me. I'm getting it. Uh, <laughs> but also it wouldn't have healed 
and helped him grow into what he needed, which is to, to come to some resolution about himself and to be in better, more intimate connection with the people that are around him and that, you know, deeper friendships. Totally. And, and, and we see people shift too, really quick. Uh, James, people shift. So I, I had one guy who said to me, he's like, oh, I used to be a total workaholic. I didn't have a porn problem, but I, I've solved my workaholic problem. And now I just view porn all the right. time. And I'm like, you, you, right. just, you just switch lanes, friend. The exposure that you're talking about didn't happen. And so often people shift lanes to where either culturally it's acceptable or their partner finds it acceptable. Because there's a lot of partners will say, hey, you can be a workaholic. That's fine. Just don't look at porn. Or you can be right compulsively right. eating to where it's damaging your okay. health significantly. But just don't do this right. or that. or Yeah, and it just doesn't work. That's right. So I was going to ask you a little bit about, so t- with your the example that you gave of your son, the difference between then and now is ultimately he came to some sort of resolution within himself around who he was, who he wanted to be. He found, he got some good help. Um, and then you also mentioned he found meaningful connection outside of himself. Um, can you give any hot tips on how do I come to build some of that resolution within myself? Um, what kind of internal work would I need yeah. to, to go well, on? Well, I think, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, for him, it was having a good, wise therapist that was helping him look at his relationship to himself and look at his relationship to some of the meanings that he was carrying about his life that were kind of high demand. And then he was rebelling against these high demand meanings and sort of working against himself. And so it was having somebody kind of think, help him think through these meanings and um, come to deeper integrity within himself. Like, who do I really want to be in the world? What, what do I want to make my God, so to speak? What is it that I want to kind of make my life be about through my choices? And so I think it in some ways started with a good connection. Um, but it's also about having the courage to look at yourself. And so, and to look at yourself with some honesty, but also what's the way to say it? Like with some care and kindness to yourself around, I see what I'm doing. I want to do right by me and my, I want to care about what this means about me and how I even feel about myself. Cause sometimes we put this in what I'm doing to my spouse, you know, what, what God thinks about it. Mm -hmm. As opposed to also like, is this the life I want to lead? I, you know, worked with a client who was going to all kinds of addiction recovery programs, but just, and he would go into periods of nothing, nothing, nothing. And then he would just kind of flip the switch and go the other way and be looking four hours a day, putting his, you know, job security at risk and things. But it was always in this comply and defy. It was sort of like, Everybody else expects it of me. I'll do it so that I look like the good person. But then I'm angry about feeling controlled by everyone. So then I'll rebel against it. So we would always be in this kind of power struggle. And it wasn't until the focus came on who does he want to be? What does he really want for his life? What kind of man does he want to become? Like then the internal locus of control made a huge difference in getting out of this um, conflicted relationship to indulgence. Yeah. So, so therapy can do it, you know, but wise input, you know, I have this art of loving 
course for men where I'm really helping men to really think about. Oh, we want to talk about that course. Don't you worry. (laughs) Okay, good. But keep going. I do talk a lot about porn in that, like kind of what are the meanings that it is in your life? What is it? Why are you going to it? What is the meaning for you? What are you trying to solve? Just to help people have more self-reflective capacity with some of my input around kind of what those possibilities may be for them and where they might be able to go with Mm -hmm. it in a way that's healthier for them and not only creates more peace in their intimate relationships, but very, very importantly, more peace within oneself. Because you can't be in an intimate relationship with someone if you aren't fundamentally on some level at peace with yourself, that you let them know you, that you let them experience you, that, you know, that, you know, I think some of the most attractive, appealing men have a kind of comfort and solitude within themselves, right? Because they're at peace with who they are. And so they're easy to be close to. So how do we make room for introspection and acceptance when porn is your coping mechanism, for example, and there's just too much fear and shame around that? Well, you, you have to, yes. I mean, that's part of the problem. And that's, that's one thing that I do in the course is I'm trying to just say, let's, let's just step back for just a minute and just take a look at it and let's look at why is it appealing and, and what's normal about that and, and completely legit about that. Okay. And, um, you know, for example, when I was a kid, 11 years old or something, my dad had a book on the top shelf of his office, um, bookshelf called the naked communist. Okay. And it was a political book. (laughs) I didn't know that, but I like scale. I took my life in my hands to see if there were any naked pictures in there. <laughs> so that just <laughs> means I was normal. I, I mean, maybe some people listening will be like, "No, that means you're clearly a pervert." <laughs> I I take that as yeah. I had a natural a curiosity about sexuality. Now I felt you know like I didn't want my parents to know I'm climbing there to see what there's and there were no pictures <laughs> of naked communists inside, just words. But, you know, that's, but, you know, a lot of times if we can just step back a minute and say, this is not a corrupt part of you. This is a natural and, and, and human part of you that you're drawn to sexuality. And particularly for men, I think sexual gaze is especially powerful. I think it's a part of testosterone and a part of, mm-hmm. of, and there's even a spirituality in it, which I know sounds really kind of sacrilegious when I say that, but they're, there's Not certainly this appreciation of femininity, of feminine beauty is a wonderful part of masculinity. And I'm not saying that that means looking at porn four hours a day is good for anybody. Um, but there is an element of it that is good and right and, and um, contributes to the good life. So to just kind of normalize what's happening, but then seeing when it becomes corrupt in the sense that it's working against you, so working against what you want to create in your life, you know, you just have to, I mean, what, the question's a good one because if you've only heard these shaming messages, it's really unhelpful. And, it, and that's a lot of times when people hear me say that, they think I'm promo- that I've, now I'm in favor of pornography and it's, that's not it. Like, can we see what's happening enough that we can get in the driver's seat? Totally. It's a lot, yeah, it's a lot like, with food, you know, I think there's a lot of parallels between um, sexual compulsivity and food compulsivity. Women tend to have more food related um, struggles and men more sexuality related 
struggles around the compulsivity is what I mean anyway. Mm-hmm. And they're both like of the body. They're both about creating moderation. They're about managing the issues of pleasure and self-respect. So you can't just swear them off. You can't just say, I, you know, I'm just turning to say, well, a lot of people try to turn off sexuality or turn off food, but it doesn't go well. And so, you know, you've, it's easier sometimes when I talk to people about this idea that if you just grew up in an environment where just the fact that you like sweets or that you want cake or something makes you a, dis, a, a deformed or, or in some way defective person, that is not going to increase your ability to make wise choices around that pleasure. That only makes you go into either full anorexia or repression or, you know, bulimia at, or, you know, indulgence, sexual indulgence. So this, this messaging interferes with a process of discerning how do I integrate this pleasure and joy in my life in a way that blesses my life, that makes it richer. You have to come to wise moderation. And by moderation, I don't mean neutral and boring. I mean like it's integrated. Balance. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. A balance. Exactly. In your life around these pleasures, if you're really going to have joy. And so it is a spiritual process. So I, some ways what I'm trying to say is normalizing it doesn't mean you're broken. It means there's a process that you can engage in to get more anchored into your integrity and your, and your self-respect. You can create a relationship to the pleasures in life that make your life richer, stronger, and better. Yeah. And I, I, it was interesting because when you talked about that gaze, right? And I think, like you say, I think maybe people listening would move right past that and be like, did she say she's pro porn? Like, no, but, but so I've been thinking a lot, like doing some more meditation and stuff. We talk about, you know, if you go a little Eastern yin yang, right. Masculine, feminine energy, which is not gender related. They just use those words. That part of the masculine energy is to just witness, to be still, to just, yeah. and so that gaze, right? The power of, of gaze and eye contact and seeing someone in, in, a, yeah, in a, in a slow, I, like, I see you, James, like I, right. We're, although obviously this is a podcast, like I see you, Jennifer, and just, just to see yeah. you as you talk and to witness you, that, that creates a different level of intimacy in our conversation than if you and I right. were just on the phone. And so I, I think that's so powerful. The, the shifting of that it's the per- whole perspective shift right and because yeah. oftentimes it like you say it's about um behavior right like can we get this you to do the right behavior because if you do which that's not all bad it just i, I understand yeah. the end game is if people are doing good behavior they'll be happy and live good lives and yeah you know but the how is it really messes with the how in there and so the question I have with this exposure is so if I, if I'm listening, right. And, and I'm hearing you right now and I'm like, Oh, like, this is what this is all about. And I'm struggling with, you know, grandiosity, narcissism, like I'm, I'm in my I, exposure. How do I, how do I bring my partner into my process of, Hey, I've got exposure going on. Cause I thought it was interesting when you said, right, we comply and then defy. So I have a saying from my friend, magic Mark, um, that the, uh, there's no such thing as resistance, just lack of safety. Mm. I have and to the, think about what that means. Okay. There's no such yeah. thing as resistance. So I'm not resistant. I'm, I, the only reason I'm is because I'm not safe. So I think about it, right. When I have clients come in and they don't want to share their whole story with me, they don't want to say all the things. 
It's like, well, because it's not safe enough. But once it gets safe yeah. enough, they'll say all the things. And and one yeah. of the greatest ways to not be safe is compliance, right? Like if I just say, okay, well, whatever you want me to do, Jennifer, I'll do that. Then that's a way for yeah, me to stay definitely. safe because just I'll just do whatever you're telling me to do. But then to your point, it's going to come out sideways with me later, yeah. between us, whatever. And so if I'm worried about that safety, because if I go tell my spouse, hey, I've got this exposure that um, I'm a total tool <laughs> about some of my stuff, because there's a part of that that's just real. Anyone struggling with compulsive yeah. behavior, like totally to your point, using yeah. me as an example, there was a part of me that's like, I will just control and force to get my needs met and I won't care about anyone else. As I was acting yeah. out, there's totally a huge part of that that I'm like, nope, other people don't have feelings and I don't care because it's about yep. me. And so how do I, how do I bring that to a spouse or a partner who has been damaged by that? How do I keep the safety and do the exposure yeah. like, like all well, at the same time? What, yeah. So first of all, I would say there's nothing that makes your spouse safer than your honesty. Ooh, that's real. That's the truth. <laughs> yep. If you don't know now, you know, <laughs> yeah, because that may not make them like you. It may not make them trust you. Okay. Because you're, you're saying I'm not trustworthy, (laughs) right? That's what a lot of us would say. If we're being really honest is I am not trustworthy. Trusting me is bad idea at this point. Mm -hmm. I I want to become a trustworthy person, but I don't have that now that is horrible as that feels and unsafe as it feels. It's actually the safest moment in the marriage so far. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Right. If it if that's been something that has been being hidden, because oftentimes in, in marriages, there's a kind of a collusion in. OK, trust the untrustworthy. If you're the spouse that wants to trust the person who's dishonest. Let's just put it in the gender typical frame right now around this issue of just like, well, I'm just going to turn a blind eye because I want so much to trust my husband. That's fundamentally unsafe and it's unwise. Uh, because you're, pre- you're, you're in a, a collusive pretense and that keeps both people from growing. Mm-hmm. You know, I often think about the work I do is I'm more of a surgeon than I am a nurse, <laughs> which is okay. It's like the marriage is dysmorphic. There's been too much dishonesty in it and collusion in dishonesty. And I, I can say more what I mean by collusion. So it's growing in these dysmorphic ways and it's, it's unhealthy. It, it's limiting what it can do because, you know, the hips aren't aligned. And so it can't walk and climb mountains. So I come in and I like, with honesty, like break the bones <laughs> and it hurts. And it feels like I have no anesthesia either for this process. <laughs> and, it and it does hurt because then you're sort of facing like, this is something I've not, not wanted to see or I've been able to be blind to not, not willfully or out of some, you know, but more just like I've been able to kind of hide from something, but it's been hurting me. And so when there's more honesty, then there's a chance to grow in the right way to grow in stronger ways. So you don't want to manage. Sometimes we confuse the the word safety with feeling safe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the wrong idea because if you're waiting to feel safe in life, you'll wait a very, very long time (laughs) because to live is to kind of tolerate risk and uncertainty. And And, so I I would say the the more risk you can take in, the more you can grow, the more you can live. Yes, exactly. The more you can thrive and, and then the safer you ultimately get. 
because the roadmap you're operating with is an accurate one. So if you want to be safe, you want to know where the potholes are. <laughs> you want to know where the dangerous parts of town are. And if you stay blind, then, you know, I'm walking around a new town here. So, you know, you get your, your map and you're kind of knowing where, where are good places to go. The more accurate, the more helpful for living a good life. But when we're afraid to know things about ourselves, about our partner, about life, and we're like, I want this to be Disneyland. I don't care where I am. I want it to be what I want it to be. You know, we can do that instinctively without even knowing we're, we're lying to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then we, but that's unsafe because we are imagining we're in one territory when in fact we're in another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so speak more, speak more to that collusion because that yeah. is a big thing. <laughs> right. Right. Well, the collusion is, you know, I want, I want what I want and I want to imagine that, well, let me just do it from maybe the typical feminine version of this, which is, you know, a lot of times people will rush into marriage in part because they don't want to necessarily know who they're marrying. They just want that person to be what they've projected onto that person. And this is a, this is a mutual process usually for people when they get married. It's like, you seem everything, you seem everything. I'm reflecting back what an amazing person you are. You're reflecting that back to me. Let's lock this in before either of us knows too much. (laughs) And what that collusion is, I think a bit is, I wanna believe that you're gonna be this person who will love me and accept me and make my life good. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I just want so much for that to be true that I don't want to really, really know who you are And ask myself the question of, am I prepared to really love you? I want to be loved. And I want to imagine you're the perfect provider of love. But I don't want to necessarily be awake to you and your limitations. And so I think especially if we've been socialized into the idea, and again, I'll just do it from the feminine version of like, if you if you marry well, he's going to caretake you and, and, and manage your sense of safety in the world. And you know, and give you a life and happiness. Well, then you want to kind of imagine he's the prince and I don't want to know too much. And you might be anxious about things in the world and you may feel insecure, but I don't really want to know that much because I want to imagine you're who I want you to be. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the going blind. And then the, often the, the masculine is like, well, I want to be the strong provider of strength and capacity. But why doesn't she admire me more? And why doesn't she appreciate me more? And I resent that. So I'm going to still kind of hide the vulnerability I feel and the uncertainty and the anger. But I'll keep giving her a picture that I think she wants. But I resent in some ways the way I feel used in this way. And so I can go and justify other things for myself. Right. Because right. the picture is not that's real. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, just the picture is not real. And so you're, right. you're, there's a picture painted there that, is not what a human being looks like or is. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm the other partner attempting to fit that picture, that is not real. I mean, I remember I was in a, in a, in a group with Miss Courtney, who we had on a couple podcasts ago. And I remember she looked at me and she's like, I am so sad for you that you thought perfection was real. Like that you got taught that that Prince image was something that you should chase Steven. And it just, I mean, it blew me up because, you know, if I was, if I was being honest in that moment, I based my whole life on that. 
that, that if I'm prince enough, and yeah, so there's this dance, I think, you said that so beautifully. Yeah, and, and exactly. And we, you know, I don't blame us for wanting Disneyland. <laughs> I don't blame us for wanting a world free of suffering and limitation. I mean, it, it's certainly natural to want it and to imagine, you know, we can have it. And I can't, I'm not here to say that you can't have a life that has a lot of joy in it and a lot of strength in it and a lot of rich meaning. But the path is not perfectionism. That's a denial of what the human experience really is. Mm, say Honestly, that again. Yeah. That, that, that the perfectionism is to deny what the human experience really is. Perfectionism, in my opinion, is anti-spiritual. Yeah. Just uh, mic drops. Yeah, just mic just, drops. Just bombs. Yep. If you don't know, now you know. Rewind that. Three minutes. You're welcome. Yep. Be sure to come back and tune in next week to hear the second half of this episode with the Unashamed and Unafraid podcast. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in the show notes below to find her website, online courses she offers, information on upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.